0: Hello, welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am
1: your co-host, Buddy.
0: And today we're going to talk a little bit about Gen Con 2018. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast.
1: On this podcast, we cover a lot of things. Games, philosophy, the meaning of life. <laughs> but mostly games. And sometimes and Gen movies. Con, yeah, sometimes movies, right? And sometimes movies based on great kids' te- television shows. Go see Teen Titans, go to the movies, everyone. Anyway, uh, we went to Gen Con, which is the biggest... Uh, is it, like, the biggest RPG, like, tabletop role-playing game and board gaming? It's definitely the
0: biggest kind of, like... Well, tabletop gaming being in the umbrella over, like, board gaming and war gaming and miniatures gaming and pen and paper gaming. It's okay. definitely the biggest one in the country. I think it's the biggest one in the world, but I'm not positive on that.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, so we've been going to Gen Con for four years. Is this the fourth year for me the the fifth year for you?
0: Uh, Is it? I thought it was four years for me three years for you, but uh, I could be wrong. How I time mean, flies. So the
1: first year was you and Mark and then it was You me Mark Jimmy Enoch and then it was yeah, this is definitely that your... plus Jimmy Alexio. Tra- okay. This is my third year Yeah, yeah, okay, gotcha.
0: yeah, I, I can remember based on hotels because the first year was me and Mark by the airport in some hotel that I just like found a week before we went. Second year was that nice hotel with the pool, um, where we were like uh, in like the one room because there were only five of us, um, but still far away. The second one, last year was uh, was the two rooms that were adjacent, um, and that felt more aggravating for whatever reason, um, even though it was also nice.
1: I felt like we just, you know, we're growing up and we're less willing to tolerate those kinds of things. It's a lot easier, I don't know, like, I I, I think, I I, I guess I think of myself more as, like, an adult these days. And so, like, the idea that I'm going to do this, like, college living, like, scrunch a bazillion people into a room for, like, you know, to save however much money, it's like, I'm actually pretty okay (laughs) blowing a fair amount of cash to make sure that I'm not like dying of sleep deprivation.
0: Yeah, I feel that. Um, but uh, my my thoughts were that we would go, um, top to bottom. Uh, maybe not spend too much time on the pre stuff because that's specific. To us. but I do think there's some interesting things to touch on there.
1: Man, yeah, yeah, there's actually a lot that I want to talk about in pre-con, precon. Yeah. Um, like.
0: but like you know, that's not going to be like that. Like I, th- I think we should just go through it chronologically, um, and uh, see where that takes us. That sound good to you, buddy? sure all right so uh first thing is sunday we uh we fly in at various times um you flew the red eye i want to know how you felt about how that affected your general conduct like this, this is not like a right like the, the first year mark and i did a red eye but we did it on wednesday to thursday and it basically killed our thursday but you had like the whole week to catch up Plus, you already have, like, a a different sleep schedule. Yeah, I mean, I
1: I, I had to kill my – I had to really, like, flip my sleep schedule back to front um, because, you know, so I go to work at 9 p.m. and get up and get out of work at 6 a.m. Pacific time, right? Um, And by those kinds of numbers, right, uh, that's that's me being up midnight to 9 a.m. uh, Eastern time. Uh, th- I I had to completely rewrite that sleep schedule. So the way that I chose to do that was my Friday. Um, I stayed up all day Saturday, and my flight was Saturday night. Um, I stayed up all day Saturday, and then I took the flight, and then I slept for maybe like two hours total on the plane. Um, we had originally we had a flight from LA to Indianapolis, but then they bumped us because there just wasn't enough. There just, like, weren't enough people to fill out that flight, so they changed our flight from L.A. to Chicago, um, and then uh, a smaller layover in Chicago, and then bumping us down to Indianapolis, where we got in at, like, 9 a.m. or something. Um, then I went to the movies, and I was, like, super sleep-deprived, and I watched all of Mission Impossible, Mission Impossible Fallout, uh, and then I went to Teen Titans Go to the Movies again, and then I fell asleep in the movie theater, and then I got up, and me and Warren went to the... Went to the uh, the Airbnb, so I was like working on some pretty hardcore sleep deprivation um, right at the top of the con. Uh, and for those of you who don't know what pre-con means, um, essentially like the group of us all decided that we were going to get together before the con in order to play, you know, like RPGs and card games and board games and stuff like that, like and like hang out as a group outside of the context of the con um because we that was something we wanted to do last year but like we also wanted to get as much like as many con games and you know time on the floor and everything in um and so we just decided you know like hey why don't we take a couple extra days just to hang out with each other so that you know during the con when we're splitting up to do games all the time um you know that doesn't feel quite as bad if that makes sense
0: yeah. Um, yeah. And we stayed in a very nice Airbnb. I'm not gonna tell you all where it is because we wanna get it for next year. Yeah, <laughs>
1: but we're trying to log that shit down. Okay. Yeah. Um
0: <laughs> But uh uh, you know, Airbnb is definitely a viable option for Gen Con. Um we actually we got hotel rooms near the convention center because we got lucky in the in the hotel room draft basically, but I could def like we were close enough that it would have been worth doing that that uh that place the whole week. Um, our original place was not that close, um, so that probably wouldn't have worked out as well. Um, uh, Indiana changed its Airbnb laws such that towns can't ban them, but homeowners associations can. Mm. Um, and so uh, we've been pretty uh, – we, we, got, we got the short end of the stick in that we got kicked out of the original place, but we got a cheaper place that was closer, um, and it was very nice, so – um, definitely check out airbnbs if you can my flight was during the day um not much really to say about it uh it was a fine flight it's you know not, nothing i nothing to write home about in any particular sense um what did we do that first night we played secret hitler a bunch right
1: okay yeah so secret hitler is a board game i guess yeah, that's probably yeah there's the like of it. kind of a board um the rules of which are is is kind of a lot like mafia there's a bunch of people sitting around the table um some of them are liberals and some of them are fascists um and there's kind of a set of rules that's about you know the fascists want to elect secret hitler and nobody knows who secret hitler is so it's kind of like a riff on mafia kind of a riff on like with the werewolf games like ultimate werewolf and stuff like that um but there's but there's like more to it because you're trying to like pass laws and stuff like that. And I like Secret Hitler quite a bit, both from like a gameplay standpoint and from kind of a like like games as art standpoint. Like I think Secret of Hitler has like a very fascinating political message. Um, and so yeah, that was that was a big win for me. I really liked Secret Hitler. Playing it was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Um it was kind of mentally exhausting. Um uh, my, my kind of favorite fact is like that first night we played like four or five games, and the fascists won every game except for the game where Buddy and I were convinced that the other one was a fascist. Turns out neither of us was. Yeah. And we were like, that, loudly that's denouncing... The pattern
1: the... that repeated itself the next day. Yeah. Because you and I played a game where I was convinced you were a fascist and you were convinced that I was a fascist. And the liberals ended up winning, uh, winning up that game too. I feel like we went like three for four, right? Like, liberals... Lost three times. Fascists won four times. On that first night,
0: yeah, it was e- it was either it was either f- four or five games total. I, f- I forget which. But the Liberals only won one.
1: Yeah, uh, I feel like it is very hard for the Liberals to win that game. You know, it is uh, it is really stacked against them um, in a lot of ways, so, such that like kind of every time that that it happens, I'm like, this is a fucking miracle. <laughs> yeah. Um
0: it's, I, so, in previous times where I've played the game, it has felt less, uh, cut and dry, um, or less, less difficult, I don't know, maybe it's just a composition of people, maybe it's just, like, a greater willingness to, like, throw accusations, or, um, maybe to be more generous, it's, it's a greater, it, it is an evaluation of shrewdness at a higher level, right, like, um, to anticipate, like, like, uh, double and triple traps uh, among our group of players rather than a group of... Like, I I feel like if you play with a group of random people, there's, like, maybe an expectation that those people aren't going to be as clever because they haven't thought about it as much, but us as people who think about how to play games a lot, right, um, I think we expect like more complex strategies even if even if they're not there so like it's like well he said he's not a fascist but that's just what a not a fat that's just what a fascist would say yeah and the way he's suggesting certain things is leads me to believe you know and there was a lot of that i feel like
1: i feel like i got uh i got the short end of that stick quite a bit especially because i had a hard time making you know so so I i kept using the phrase explore the possibility space yeah which is to say that like I was trying to keep track of everything that I possibly could. Notice everything that I possibly could, right? So that it could be kind of, like, brought in later, if that like, if that makes sense. Where, like, if someone's turn one play is mildly suspicious, I wanted to get that, like, down and on the record. I didn't want to, like, not say something. But that also reads like an accusation, right? Like, yeah. one of the games where I looked like a big fascist was because right out of the gate, I called out Nick's behavior as being shady because he was... He, he had, like, bad logic to back up a point or something. And I was like, wait, what? Like, that logic just is really shitty, like... And I feel like he's a fascist, and he's trying to like pull the wool over our eyes or something like that. But but there's not a lot of space between like making an accusation and just kind of like noting something for the record. Because if you ever try and note something for the record, it feels like you're saying, "Well, this person's a fucking fascist." Like, yeah, <laughs> you're know, at the top of their
0: lungs. I I also think that part of that too is 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 again in the vein of like, you know, super deep strategies. Like that's also like a planting a seed of doubt for later in the round. So if we do take it at your face value, maybe that's actually you just trying to get us to start to doubt Nick early, so that when you need to pull your master stroke, we're, we're primed for it. But we're all like kind of hypersensitive to that and th- th- that kind of thing, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Um, funnily enough, I think one of the stronger strategies for our group in particular, um, is to just stay quiet because I think people tend to notice like unusual quietness a little bit less um unless it's like one like i feel like if you or i were particularly quiet it might go noticed yeah um, there
1: were a couple of times when i noticed somebody being very quiet and that kind of pegged uh, them as a fascist to me but it was a it was a rare thing i feel like that would be a very successful strategy
0: yeah um also successful strategy is to not be mark um because uh uh you know, he, he's the type of guy who plays, like, kind of pseudo, like, like with, with a lot of, like, disruption in hand, and so it's hard to tell what his true motives are, which is good when he's a fascist, but bad when he's a liberal, because no yeah. one ever trusts him.
1: It's very uh, frustrating to deal with, because it's also kind of, it, it, like, there's a feeling that, like, I guess he's not taking the game seriously or something kind of along those lines, and it almost, like, taints it in a way. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and, and I, I don't think that he's not taking the game seriously. Um, or maybe he's not, but like, yeah. Um, but like, it's a weird strategy cause it pays off. It, like, I think it does pay off, but like not very often, right? Like it's games where he's a fascist and like pe- people have been convinced that they're like potentially two other people that also could be fascists. So like maybe he's just being Mark, um, and, like, I, th- I think I've seen all the games they have played with him, because I've played with him, separate from this, too, that it's paid off maybe, like, once or twice total. Um, um and just kind of the confusion that that shows, I think, is also value for, valuable for fascists. It's just terrible for liberals. Uh, and, uh, I don't know. I think it's not a strategy I would employ, but it's an interesting one nonetheless, nonetheless over kind of the long term. Um... Did you say, want to say anything else about Secret Hitler?
1: Uh, um, uh, no. All right. I also think, so, uh, one more thing. I also think Secret Hitler deteriorated as the week went on because we also played a couple of other games that were about lying and cheating and duplicity and stuff like that. So, like, when you come into Secret Hitler, I feel like if we had spent the whole week playing D&D, right, where we are fundamentally kind of, like, cooperative and working as a team, or, like, Zombicide, you know what I mean, like, any of these co-op games, uh, Gloomhaven, um... We might have come into it better, but we were playing a lot of PvP things. Um, yeah. The other two big ones being Cockroach Poker, uh, and Diplomacy, which we'll get into. So like walking into Secret Hitler off of diplomacy is just like boy. Yeah. And walking into diplomacy off of Secret Hitler
0: is also like boy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um But uh let's I guess talk the next day was to. We went to a Costco pro tip for the you, gen counters. out there: there are three Costco's in the uh in the uh indianapolis area area great way to save a little bit of money or uh, just spend all your money on like dumb snack food which we did um uh do, do and uh other than that we uh we played diplomacy that like whole day um
1: which uh did you well how did you feel about that game i love diplomacy i think diplomacy is a lot of fun um, I think diplomacy is a lot of fun even outside of winning you know like or, or losing it's just like a lot of fun to play um, to think through the strategies like boy like did, diplomacy sucked a whole day away and I felt I didn't feel like any I don't know loss of of I don't know it's just it's just like a lot of fun i like scheming i like politics i like backroom politics i'm very bad at diplomacy to be honest with you um because i'm very loathe to backstab people i mean all the way until the end of the game You and I had essentially allied with one another, even when we were losing. And, like, hypothetically, maybe I could have made an agreement with, like, Nick and Alexio that we were going to, like, cannibalize. Uh, because, so, Mango was playing Austria-Hungary, I was playing Germany, that we would, like, kind of, like, cannibalize your corpse or something like that. And I would try and, like, walk away with one or two supply centers. But, you know, like, I I hate doing stuff like that. I, like, I kind of would rather go down swinging. Um... You know, like, even when you yeah. took my Munich supply center from me, which sucked, I almost like was like, well, at least my ally is still in the game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I almost feel like if Mango had just been like, "Hey, buddy, please just give me Munich so I can stick around, and we'll try and and we'll try and fight back from there." Like, I might have said yes to that. I don't know. Yeah. You know what no. I mean?
0: Like- I, I basically had to make that. T- so, so this is the last turn of the game. I or effectively what what would become probably what's going to be at least my last turn of the game. I. Didn't have time to discuss it. I just kind of went for it because I just wanted to make sure I was in the game for another turn, um, rather than anything else. I figured it would be minimally harmful to you, um, and I figured you could just take it back from me. It wouldn't be a big deal. But you know, it's kind of like like that last turn madness stuff, um, which we'll talk about more about last turn madness in uh, yeah, yeah. A, a little later. But like, I, I think that. I think that knowing you're on the last turn makes things, like, I I wouldn't have done that, I don't think, if it wasn't kind of us wrapping up the game.
1: Yeah, I also think, to a certain extent, um, that game of Diplomacy was not super great, because I felt like a lot of people's heart wasn't in it. Warren didn't seem super enthused by Diplomacy, and he was kind of just, like, doing whatever I told him at some point, because he was kind of, like, shorting out from, like, the backstabbing and the PvP and the politics and everything like that. Um, and I appreciate your undying loyalty and willing to surrender yourself to the Kaiser's, uh, to the Kaiser's will, uh, in case you're listening to this, Warren. Uh, but I also get that, you know, like, this game isn't for everybody. I think it takes a special, uh, like, a special kind of person. Um. Yeah, it was Warren,
0: uh, who, there were three people that I picked as not really being into it. Um. Mark. Warren, Mark, and, uh, who would the third person be?
1: Joe? Alexio? Uh,
0: Nick? Oh! No, uh, I think maybe I was thinking of X. Um, oh yeah, yeah, because yeah. like X didn't want to play. Yeah, yeah of sure. of our nine people that we had available to play. Yeah, uh, like or of the, our I mean, eight people that we had available. I to play. I was
1: at war with Alexia like the whole time basically. Yeah. And Alexia was a pretty good sport. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know no, I I about everything.
0: I think that we just didn't have enough play. Like we we got enough p- players to like pressure two people to take positions even if they didn't really want to, which I think is is ultimately kind of bad for the game um not this is the thing that like i don't know how to feel about it with diplomacy is if somebody's not acting in necessarily their own best interest but just to kind of like be a force on the board how valid and invalid that is um like like i think i misplayed around around mark's play but like if I think there's something to be said to be playing as Kingmaker right? Like I think that's a valid strategy, um, even like even even if you don't think you can you can you can win the game. But I do think that there's like a may, maybe it's not great to be doing that from moment one.
1: Yeah, I uh, think that there were a couple of big tactical errors, um, like Nick attacking. So so early like early in the game, uh, me, Nick, and Warren kind of agreed to split up Scandinavia. I got Denmark, Warren got Norway, Nick got Sweden. And as part of Nick's backstab of you, he attacked Norway. And I think it would have been better for Nick to not attack Norway and just focus on attacking you and then trying to cut a deal to prevent me and Warren from coming to your aid. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, yeah, and I I also think that prolonging the... I think that prolonging the stalemate in the Balkans was probably not a great. I, I feel like if you had chosen either Nick or Zhao to kind of fight against the other, um, instead of constantly making that a stalemate, Nick wouldn't have been forced um, into yeah. like kind of forced into action. I uh, I should have either
0: encouraged him to attack in the north. Yeah. Um, or um, just dealt with 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 Zhao. I was. I was basically trying to keep that stalemate until I took out Mark, because um, I, I think
1: th- I yeah I think I could have helped you take out Mark, uh, or conversely you could have helped me take out Alexio. Yeah, and we like we kind in a weird way we kind of had a non-aggression pact for the first couple of turns where like we just didn't populate that border, but we also didn't really work together on any like common goals. Yeah, p- but I the- think but I think sure. we actually could have done that and, and gotten farther if we had. Yeah, the, the big
0: problem is, is actually, um, fucking Switzerland, um, like, makes that border yeah. actually really hard to, to deal with. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, but, uh, that or, or we should have, like, basically, you were totally focused on, on that border, um, and I kind of, w- and I had, like, like a, a trivial amount of defense on that border, um, and if we had had more presence on, on rather, on the eastern front is what I mean, um, I think like if you and I had decided to to if all if you and I had decided to keep the stalemate in the Balkans between the two of us we could have um but that probably would have hurt operations against the other side and we' probably would have forced Nick's hand up north
1: yeah I also think that uh, you know if you had kept your fleet around to harass yeah. Alexio and Mark in the Mediterranean because that was the biggest problem is that we didn't have access to kind of that like Spain Portugal. I guess Tunis, like uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like Libya or whatever it is. Um, so they were just like very reliable supply centers that didn't need to be defended. I made a huge mistake because I told Warren that I was going to move my fleet into the North Sea and then completely forgot about it. And then Alexio used that hole in our defensive strategy to push Warren out of the English Channel, which basically guaranteed that we lost in the Western Front. Um, so you know, it, it, it's it's yeah. a you know it's a whole it's a whole big thing. I love diplomacy; it's a lot of fun. Um, even if you don't like end up winning or whatever, just like wheeling and dealing, it's just like, oh yeah, be I ab- enjoyable for me. I
0: abs- I absolutely love it as well. Um. Uh. So what what should we talk about? Kind of next in the slot. What we did the, the, uh, the ram that night for dinner, right?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: All right, like, let's talk about that because it is themed, right? it is Shen mm-hmm. Con themed? Um, this is not not just the events; it's also kind of like the life. Um, did we do anything the previous nights we went to Japanese right that Japanese place that's uh that's you know down it's down. actually
1: you know it's actually kind of funny well I, I guess we'll talk about this more around like Fogo or whatever uh, but I actually kind of think that gen con, my gen con diet may have fixed a health problem that I'd been experiencing in a weird way it was funny I was talking with rachel about it um because uh because uh, so gen con food like you know, you're eating out a lot, and it's yeah. these, like, big, heavy places downtown. It's a lot of fried food. It's a lot of greasy food and stuff like that. And I was pretty cognizant of that. Um, but I was also surrounded by other carnivores, and, like, Rachel's a vegetarian, so I, I'm used to not eating tons and tons of meat, right, like, on a, on a normal basis. And I was dealing with this thing where, like, every once in a while, I would get, like, I'd get, like, weird heart palpitations for, like, no reason for, like, two or three minutes. Um, and then it all of a sudden went away. As soon as I like went to Gen Con for a couple of days, um, I think like on Thursday it was like gone or whatever. And I think it, and Rachel and I talked about it a little bit, and we we looked it up, and it might just be because I haven't been eating very much meat or something. Good old and American like, yeah, red meat. And I need protein and fucking amino acids and shit.
0: Yeah, that that I I could believe that like you're missing some vitamin or something, but um, let, let's talk briefly about. Uh, about those places the japanese place i thought was all right i didn't think it was anything special I It was a little bit pricey for what it was um but we're all, i'm also used to living in san francisco where that food is a little bit more common yeah um i say i think it's called mikado was the name of the place um it wasn't bad and if you're you've got a hankering for japanese food i think you could do much worse
1: i think it was good mostly as a point of contrast Um, I mean, I I have the benefit of living in Los Angeles and, like, you know, like, the next neighborhood over is a pretty heavy Japanese immigrant town, and so I'm used to getting, like, really fresh and authentic, like, ramen places or tempura or kind of, like, whatever, um... And I wouldn't consider it in that same kind of like caliber. Like, yeah, I guess no, I would I say it's very like Americanized, right? And it's like a sushi place and stuff like that. Um, but it was very nice going to some place that wasn't just like burgers and fries. I that, I felt kind of suffocated a lot by some of those options as the week went on. And I was just like, Jesus Christ! I just want to eat anything else what, besides that. You didn't want to eat at Chick Fil A for the 18th time. Yeah, we <laughs> ate at Chick Fil A so much. Uh,
0: I will. Um, I guess we should get to Chick Fil A when we get to it, but. Mikado, alright, um, I wouldn't say it wasn't, it was, it felt inauthentic, um, although you did get, like, teriyaki ribeye. I got
1: teriyaki, yeah, I got uh, steak teriyaki or whatever. Which
0: I feel like is, like, I I got the dongatsu, which was, it wasn't the greatest dongatsu I've ever had, but it was good, um, and I couldn't speak. To, I can't speak to the sushi, but they definitely they definitely had Americanized options for the sushi.
1: Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of sushi in general. Um, I don't know, but this also is part of me. Like, I you know, like I lived in Japan. My stepmother's Japanese, um, so I have like a probably different understanding of like, because I kind of almost want places to be more specialized than that. I guess I don't know. Like, yeah. I want it to be like a ramen shop. I want it to be a sushi place. I want it to be, you know, izakaya, right? Like something like, and and so in a way, I I guess I don't really think of Japanese places as like, oh, this is, this is my favorite Japanese restaurant, right? Like it's, this is my favorite, you know, whatever else, sushi or izakaya or ramen um, or something like that. And so this kind of being like a grab bag or whatever, you
0: know, it is what it is. Okay. I, I, I feel that, um, but, uh. That's Mikado. If you're craving Japanese food, you could do worse. Um, uh, Rams, uh, or The Ram, rather. It's a Gen Con staple. Um, Every year does steamed food. Um, It's also got like a... I think the beer is like like a brewery. Like, I think the beer that they have there is uh, their own. The beer was pretty decent. I know that you can't speak to that, but, uh, you know, I had their porter, I think it was. It was pretty all right. Um, But the... uh, the food, I am not gonna lie, I, I was like I thought it was like, all right, didn't think it was great. Thought Oof. It,
1: uh, ram. I liked ram ish. Oh no, I liked ram quite a bit. I think actually, because uh, that's where I got like the veggie burger. The yeah, well, you got an the, impossible
0: burger, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah.
1: Was... I, I got I got a, a special you know, meatless meat substitute burger because I like those. In general, I was actually really pissed because I specifically only ate half of it because I wanted to keep some for later for, like, the next day for, like, lunch or something. And then I forgot it at the fucking restaurant. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, because we went to a couple of those sorts of, like, tavern sort of places. And I yeah. think Ram was probably my favorite of the group of them. Like, Scotty's. Boy, I'm so sorry, Scotty's. Like, I know you guys have, like, dye and everything like that, but Scotty's was gross. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just you know super heavy and completely. Did you? When did you eat there? Uh, I ate there the night of Fogo. Uh, I went there with Warren, and we ate a little bit of stuff, uh, and then we went to Fogo.
0: Oh, okay. Um, well, that's an interesting choice. <coughs> um, but we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, I just thought the burger was very mediocre. Um, I probably wouldn't have thought that if I didn't have a real burger. <laughs> Um, I thought the appetizers were all right, but nothing special. Um, certainly not worth like a long wait, but you know, I wouldn't, I didn't mind going there like before the con.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Definitely.
0: Um, next day was, uh, next day we went to, uh, the game store that was right nearby. Um, it's called good games. I found out recently they're actually an Australian chain who's, uh, I think it's only branches in Indianapolis in the, in the United States.
1: Oh my god, that makes so much sense. Yeah,
0: that's why the Australian game was on fucking display. Yeah, because yeah. I was
1: yeah, because there was an Australian game on display that I wanted to play. Or I'm sorry, that we we almost demoed it. Me and Warren yeah. did, but then we ran out of time. Um, but yeah, there was uh, what hap- What was there? There's a great
0: game shop. I recommend it to anybody who's local to the area or anybody who wants to maybe like beat the craziness of the exhibition hall. I I didn't go there during the actual con, um, but before it was it was you know. Not super packed. It had Gloomhaven, which apparently has been sold out everywhere online. Um, So that was neat. Um, And the guys there were super helpful. We asked them for a game that we could play with eight people, and they gave us Cockroach Poker, which we we loved. Um, And then we also picked up Red Dragon Inn, Red Red Dragon Tavern. Um,
1: Yeah, Red Dragon Inn is a... um, Red Dragon Inn is a game that... Warren and I have played a whole bunch from some friends of ours because it's like it, we were looking for kind of like they, what do they call them? beer and pretzels games?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's the way that uh, that the, the the guy described it at least. Yeah,
1: yeah. So we were looking for uh, we were looking for a certain subset of uh, of those and Red Dragon in you everybody gets like a deck of cards um, and the deck is personalized for like a character and like their way to play and there's a couple of different ways that you can win the game right like you can just beat the shit out of somebody else. Um, you can get somebody else drunk, so like, if their health, or I'm sorry, if their alcohol content passes their, their HP, um, they pass out, uh, you can bankrupt them by taking all of their coins, um, and, uh, you know, it's just it's it's just like a fun, it's a fun game to go around the table with. Um, yeah, so. I'm, a, I'm actually a super huge fan of kind
0: of, so, so the mechanic is essentially you pick a deck and you get, uh, and they're kind of independent of each other, you don't Excuse me, you don't really need the, uh... Uh, like, you could sell all the decks separately, theoretically, I think there are a couple of expansions that just characters that are separate decks. Um, I actually really like that mechanic. It, it's kind of like halfway between a trading card game and, uh, or collectible card game, as they're now known, and, uh, and, like, a, a regular board game because you can kind of, like... You, you could imagine a model of this game where everybody just buys their favorite deck and brings it to play. Um, I, I, think, I think it's a really neat game model, um... Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a lot of fun too. I was expecting a little bit more difference in the decks. Um, they seem to be more like, like, I was expecting them to be maybe like 50-50 the same, but they felt more like 80-20 the same, like 80% the same, 20% different.
1: Uh, I feel like they got more, I have the benefit of playing it more obviously, and I feel like over time they got more and more kind of like complex I want to say that makes sense that the first um, that
0: the first expansion was a little bit simpler
1: yeah yeah um, like the first because it was the first movie and the first expansion uh that were pretty straightforward
0: you mean the first game yeah
1: yeah yeah for f- like the, the 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 base game yeah and the yeah first expansion is what I mean to say.
0: You, you called it the first movie
1: and <laughs> oh whoops <laughs> um
0: amusing but uh Besides that, there was also uh, Cockroach Poker, which we spent a lot of time playing, actually.
1: Yeah, Cockroach um, Poker is kind of like the MVP in, in a certain yeah. sort of sense.
0: And that's kind of why I want to give such a big shout-out to Good Games, um, just because it was... It, yeah, because it
1: we walked in there, and we asked the guy, we were like, Hey, listen, we've got you know eight guys in an Airbnb. We're waiting for Gen Con to start, right? To like, what would you recommend to pass the time? And he immediately was like, go, go get... You know, get cockroach poker. And he ran us through how it played. It's a very simple game. It's a deck of 64 cards, eight each of eight different animals. Um, Insects, bugs, vermin generally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the whole mechanic of the game is, essentially boils down to, I have a hand of cards. I take one of the cards and I place it face down and I pass it to someone and I say, this is a rat, right? Um, and And that person then guesses... Or accurately reads, I guess, if you want to be charitable, whether or not I'm telling the truth, and if they are correct, they get the card, or if they are correct, I get the card. If I am, or if I was able to stump them, they get the card, and the person who collects four cards of a suit, right? So four rats loses, right? And you just pay, play until one person loses. Um, but it just, it's, you know, it was just like fun and lively, and everybody like starts laughing. Um, there was, like, moments and memes that came out of it, like, Ohana means scorpion. I don't know what that was, but it came out of it. Uh, but the big one was your decision to play, like, seven cards out of your hand in a row, passing it to the same person every time saying, this is a rat, until you lost the game. Do you want to no, run no, us No, no, by- I, I,
0: I, I did not lose on this is a rat. I got it on my last card, I got X to, to, to guess wrong. And uh, I I did lose that game, but it wasn't in that moment. Okay. Uh,
1: um. So you sacrificed the majority of your hand in order to gamble that X was not that X was going to miss the last in your hand. Well,
0: I was hoping that he would miss it earlier. Okay. Uh, um. Basically, I ran out of rats. Just started throwing them at him and calling, saying, "This is a rat." Um funnily enough in like my I've played it with a couple other like uh, like when I came home and played it with my my uh, roommate friend of the cash Charles and uh, some other people um, and that strategy is like eventually I think it just comes out at some point um, as like a th- like you know how long you take it I think is uh, is is variable um, but I I'm inspired by a uh, legendary game designer and uh, and and fighting games player, David Serlin, who talks about how he won. I don't know if it was an entire tournament or just like a, a kind of like a, a, late stage game. Um, basically he was playing a character whose matchup with another character was poor. And the only really effective move was, uh, I believe like a, 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 a low, a low sweep. Um, and he, he's, uh, the way he puts it is like, you know, I can only use it so many times, right? Because otherwise people are going to expect, I can't just keep using the same, uh, the same move. Um, but when you get to a high level of level of play, maybe you can, right? He's like, I used it like four times in a row, and surely I wouldn't use it a fifth time in a row, but I did, and it worked. And truly I wouldn't use it a sixth time, and apparently he ended up using it like 12 or 13 times um to win the match. And people were just like, it's not you know, like who would use this another like eight times in a row or whatever, right? Um, and obviously, it doesn't work as well in this situation because uh, he was moder- he was winning in bits every time he did it, whereas I just kept losing. Um, but um, I think there's a bit of sunk cost fallacy in there as well. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I had fun with it at least. Uh, I thought I it's it's not the the greatest strategy, obviously, but it's it's fun. Um, uh, something else I will point out. My actually favorite moment with this is you you had gone to this is on Saturday night. You had gone to sleep. Uh, we kind of took our extra beers downstairs just started playing. Um, and uh, we got to a point, like, we, we were discussing, like, a game where, like, the primary mechanic would be gaslighting, and I was like, "This that would be horrifying. But it gave me an idea. So I passed a card to Alexio and said, this is a chestnut. I will point out that a chestnut is not a card in the deck, right? I was doing it mostly as a joke and expecting him to just, like, say, no, it's not, and flip it up and give it back to me, and we could all have a laugh about it. But he just kind of stares at me for, like, 10 seconds and then he picks up the card and passes it instead of like calling me out on it like everybody at the table just like lost their minds laughing it's just i don't know great moments with that game uh a lot of mind games a lot of fun um but you know i I highly recommend cockroach poker is relatively cheap it's a small card game so you can take it with you anywhere um i almost wish it was in like a in a regular card box that way i could put it in my pocket easier yeah, uh, yeah, 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 I feel that. It's in a slightly larger box, I guess, for, like, display purposes, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, very excellent, very excellent game. Um, uh, that kind of brings us, I think, to the end of Precon. Um, oh, There's, I think, one other thing to mention, um, and that's that we watched Mission Impossible 1, and, Oh, my uh, God. <laughs> I
1: started. to God, if you bring up...
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... Uh, as, as will happen when you have no first in the room, a dumb argument happened, and it's whether or not the screwdriver that gets used in uh, Mission Impossible 1 uh, is mag- is a magnetic screwdriver, one, like it essentially is, is a screwdriver, like was the screw unscrewed by magnetic means, um, and two, what was it at least a catcher that was a magnet, um, and it's clearly a magnet, and no one is here to argue against me otherwise, uh, and so I'm going to leave it at that. Before... I um, mean,
1: the catcher was obviously a magnet. The screwdriver was not... I mean, whatever. Who cares? Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, like, I, I, w- <laughs> I, I will
0: I will concede that the screwdriver was... It was probably not a magnet, or... I think it was still supposed to be, but I will concede that it is very plausibly not a, uh... Not a, a magnet, uh, a screwdriver that... Or a, a rotating magnet that, um... That unscrewed the screw. Um, which is what I thought it was supposed to be. Um, okay. Um... The only thing I would say that I'm disappointed with about precon is that we didn't watch Fateful Findings. Oh,
1: no! You're right! I forgot! Oh, my God. I completely forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. Crap. Um,
0: yeah. Well, there's always next year. Yeah. Uh,
1: there, there, yeah, definitely. <laughs>
0: um. All right. So, that's that was Precon. Um. Uh. Oh! Um, some things that we should point out. Because the next day, we got up. We got out of Airbnb. Um. You went over to the hotels, and uh, I just kind of... You, you went to the game store. You could talk about your experience with that. Yeah, so
1: I went to the game store, and I played Zombicide, which is a very fun game. Um, I know. So you don't like co-op board games. No. Uh, not typically. Uh, but I did, uh, and I typically... Well, I don't really know if I typically do or don't. I haven't really played all that many of them. Um, but I did end up... Um, uh, I did end up playing a co-op board game called Zombicide, which was really well done, to be honest with you. It was really challenging, but we won, and it felt like a very earned victory. Um, To a certain extent, like, on co-op board games, I find that, like, things become a little kind of, like, rote, because you figure out, like, the mechanics or whatever, but, boy, Zombicide is, like, built to punish the shit out of you, you know? Like if things will really snowball against you. Um, And that was definitely, like, happening. And we really only won because of some, like, good RNG in our favor. Uh, But there was also a lot of, like, good strategy that we were kind of, like, working through as a team. So, yeah, I don't know. It just, like, it felt really good. Zombicide, Black Plague, I think is what it was called. Um, Yeah. Because the traditional Zombicide is, like, modern era with, like, guns and stuff like that. But Black Plague is during, uh, like, fantasy times. So, like, I was playing a wizard and shit. Um, so, so yeah. Yeah, that's, that sounds neat.
0: I have played, I have played Modern Zombicide. Um, I thought it was alright, but it, like, as you said, I'm not a huge fan of cooperative games. Um, I didn't do much during that time except check up on emails. So there's nothing much for me to say about that. Um, uh, you
1: went to the, you went to the stink, how was that? Uh,
0: the stink was alright. Um, I pro- again... Uh, Where well, one of my goals for this Gen Con was to engage more with the community, and I largely failed at that. Um, Zhao and I just kind of uh, friend of the co- podcast and PR mastermind Zhao um, walked around uh, the convention center, or not the con- this like convention hall, um, and it uh, was it was it was it was just like a big room in the Union Station, um, and they gave away some free stuff. Um, Zao actually got a free copy of the, the core rule book for, like, it's called, like, Octune Cthulhu. Um, I told him that he has to run a game for us, and I doubt he will, but it looks, it looked neat. Um, uh, we got some free dice. Um, they had a, uh, 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 like, a, a cash bar. We had a couple drinks. We played some Splendor, which is a neat, fun little game. We played it on Zao's phone. Um, uh, and there were a bunch of people, but we just kind of like sat there and played the game and uh uh, it was it was a whatever um I would go again I would try harder to engage uh next time um but you know nothing to write home about there's also not a lot to do on Wednesday night otherwise um like if we had a plan to do something maybe I would I would have done that instead but um uh, the only other thing I will mention about Wednesday is uh the parking situation um just for to warn people at home um, we kind of went into it and assumed that the, the parking underneath the hotels would be free for uh, people staying in the hotels. It wasn't. It was, in fact, the most expensive parking uh, in the area. Um, the cheapest parking lot, I think, is Union Station. Uh, there's a Union Station lot, which happened to be right next to um, – actually, I'm not going to say where it was right next to because uh, I don't want you figuring things out. Um, but it was it was downtown. Um, the circle mall was also relatively cheap. Those were 18 and $22 a day. Um, uh, specifically, whereas like the, the hotel parking was like $44 a day. Yeah. It was, um, it
1: was insane.
0: Um, uh, so yeah. Um, try and get those places. If you need a place to park your car, um, or get, uh, an Airbnb with a, a parking pass, which ours had, um, uh. Uh, which didn't help because we had two cars. Or it, it helped a little, but we had two cars. Um, I think that's it for Wednesday. Did you have anything else you wanted to
1: say about Wednesday? No. Did we, did we, uh, maybe this is a good place oh, to we talk Oh, we went to about. Fogo on Wednesday. Oh, right, yeah. We did go to Fogo de Chao. Yeah, I had actually never been to uh, Fogo de Chao before. I mean, I've been to Trudusca before uh, because... When you grow up outside of Newark, there's, like, a fairly big, like, I guess, Iberian, like, Portuguese population. Yeah. Famously
0: um, known as the Ironbound section.
1: Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I guess I wouldn't say that I was sort of surprised, but it was good. It was a lot of, it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was just kind of, like, the group of us. Um, to a certain extent, one of the big takeaways from Gen Con for me this year was kind of in breaking the habit of, like... Um, trying to do everything with everybody. Um, cause a lot of the times we would be like, you know, so, and, so and people would, people would recommend something and, um, and there would be this kind of Im- instinctive, impulsive need to try and get everybody on board with it. Um, but eventually we just kind of figured out that like, when you have a group of 10 people, it's okay to sort of split off. So we only went to FOGO with four of us. Um, and that was a lot of fun. And that was pretty, uh, it was pretty good.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, uh. What else? Um, can we say about uh? was Oh, there was one the other thing I wanted to go over, which basically kind of the. Did you go over to the JW at
1: all? Uh, once. All right. I didn't go you know, upstairs or really anything, to be honest.
0: Yeah. Um. We stayed in the in the Marriott downtown Marriott, which was very nice for being close. Um. The biggest kind of downside I would say is that since there were no couches. Um, it meant at least for for my room had four people, it meant that we always had to double up, which was fine. But like, you know, as you said earlier, we're we're adults now, I'm, I'm getting to the point where I want to guarantee my own bed because, you know, it's just uncomfortable otherwise. Um, and I just, I don't want to, you know, uh, put my, make myself uncomfortable in that way anymore. Um, but it was very nice to be right there and not have to worry about getting to and from the convention center with any, uh with, with any, uh, with any problems, uh, would you agree? All right, um, next up is, uh, Thursday, um, where we did, uh, the, the first thing in the morning was the Mega Game, um, Watch the Skies, um, put on by Gray Squirrel, I believe, out of Chicago, um, but, uh, uh, I played a corporation, Xenocorp, buddy he played
1: Prime Minister of India, I believe. I was the President of India, yeah, which pres- was the head of state role.
0: Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, we, our other group, was playing uh, Japan, and uh, there were a bunch of other countries,
1: a couple other corporations, and some media stuff. Uh, I feel like we're gonna have a bit to say about this. So why don't, why don't you
0: start us off, buddy?
1: So the to- so uh, every year in Gen Con, we've kind of dedicated ourselves to some like project or whatever. Like the first year. It was all about, like, the playtest, the the Pathfinder, like, special playtest, special design workshop, is that what it's called? Um, it was kind of like a big centerpiece thing. Uh, the year after that, it was True Dungeon Adventures, which is, you know, a famous and, and like it's it's an event that's expensive but it fills up and it's really popular and everything at gen con um and the event that we wanted to do this year were are what what are called the mega games and the mega games are like 70 people games um that are rpgs with a bunch of different gms everybody kind of like working the angles um to sort of, like, figure out how to do it. And it has more in common with Model UN, um, if any of you guys know what Model UN looks like, um, than it has in common with a traditional con game or, like, a pen and paper RPG. Um, The scenario that we knew is that we were playing a near-future Earth and uh, aliens were arriving. That's why it's called Watch the Skies. Um... But it was about, you know, communicating with the aliens, understanding how the aliens were uh, interacting with the planet and how we were interacting um, sort of uh, sort of with them. Um, I think there were nine countries overall. Uh, there was a couple of European countries, Russia, uh, the UK, France, uh, the United States, um, China, Japan. India, and then the African Union and Brazil, I think, were all of the countries. There were three different media companies. One of them was called Hypno Wars, uh, based off Alex Jones' InfoWars. One of them was called Eclipse Media, which I think was kind of like a Vox. Uh, so Eclipse was definitely BuzzFeed. And then there was NNN, which was essentially CNN, right? Um, then there were three companies. One of them was Ikari, which is a Japanese company that sold personnel uh, another that immediately one,
0: got nationalized
1: yeah that immediately got bought out and nationalized by Japan uh, another one was Kraken um, which was a Russian company uh, that, that got sold artifact, alien attacks. artifacts
0: yeah we'll talk about what happened to Kraken in a minute um, and then Xenocorp represented by yours truly and PR Wiz Alex Zao um, uh, which sold Interceptors
1: which was based in the US
0: yes um, okay for the entire game, except when we uh, we opened the second headquarters in India, um,
1: just to fulfill a victory condition yeah. that didn't even matter.
0: Um, womp womp. What else happened? Uh, oh, what, uh, and that—that's all the players. I, I actually kind of like the asymmetry mm-hmm. of the uh, of, of the different objectives. Um, but uh, one of the big events that happened in the game was a couple turns in, the Russian players decided to reform the USSR. Um, it was pretty evident that they were planning on doing this before the game started because they brought like a, re- a picture of Lenin and a big uh, Soviet Union flag. Yeah. Um, and I had pick up on this because I was I was not bothering with with any of it, but um, apparently, like in like world, the characters that were playing the Russian heads, the Russian things, they were all executed, and they they were the same people playing, but it was they were representing different characters once the USSR formed.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that, actually. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: I had a very contentious relationship with the USSR um, as India because... So, the Indian coalition was Africa, Japan, and um, the... the uh, oh, and India, right. Uh, but we also made a kind of small allegiance with Brazil, the US, and the UK, um, which basically gave us voting control of the United Nations. And I believe we forced out China and the USSR pretty quickly out of the United Nations because they were doing dumb things, Um, and so uh, we ended up, we ended up in, in one another's crosshairs quite a bit, uh, I guess I would say.
0: Yeah, um, uh, and uh, what was the other, That, that, that actually should bring us to like, what I thought was like kind of the best moment of the game for. Uh, for me personally, I think you you noted it as a highlight too.
1: No, it was definitely yeah, it was yeah. definitely super fun. Uh,
0: so the corporations can also own uh, can own the media, uh, the the uh, the news sites, and I owned NNN and Hypno Wars actually at that point. But um, NNN is based in Russia, and so when it converted to the USSR, there was a fear that he would be like gulagged or something. So uh, I basically paid one of the other corporations for their like mercenaries. Um, and like led an, like led a corporate military strike to extract my, uh, my news team, uh, to India. Um, uh, and it worked. It was really cool. Uh, it was, it felt really tense. It felt like it was, it was at the moment, uh, you know, I had to bring it. it kind of pulled in all three elements of like all the three player elements, got us working together, uh, made things hustle. Um, uh, did you figure out why they stopped, uh, the NNN guy in the embassy? Uh, because well, they were s- checking to see if he was an alien. Well, yeah, I think it was supposed to be an opportunity for you to capture him if you had figured out he was an alien. Like if oh. like he was, yeah. So, oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, if if we had figured out if we had any idea that he so spoilers for our version of the game, which you probably won't play. There, there's, you go through a bunch of different scenarios with this. Like that's always the pre- like the the aliens thing is always the premise, but how it plays out is different. Um, we had cop aliens picking up reptile aliens which were bad um and the reptile aliens were 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 siphoning money off of off of the different countries um or in different places and the nnn guy was was an alien um and the one of the objectives of the game was to catch all the 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 uh the reptile aliens and uh, uh that was our opportunity to capture the reptile uh nnn but uh we uh we missed it because neither of us suspected it at all um, yeah, I
1: have to say, I was actually, I mean, I, I, props to the Brazilian players because they were the ones dealing with this mostly. I really didn't interact with the aliens almost at all. Um, I think I specifically pissed them off because – so something that happened very quickly was we fell – my so India fell behind um, when it came to alien artifacts um, because we were sharing uh, Asian airspace with China, Japan, and Russia – And, uh, and the Africans were being really testy about, you know, letting us fly interceptors over Africa and, like, work with excavators in the same way and stuff like that. And so, I was, and so, at one point, a group of aliens was flying over India, right? And I had just bought a second interceptor from Xenocorp, and I took Mango aside. And I was like, listen, everything we've heard about these fucking aliens is that they're peaceful, right? But... I really want some alien artifacts. And if we shoot down the flying saucer here, we can excavate and get alien artifacts from that. You, meaning Xenocorp... Um, Want there to be a war with the aliens so that you can sell z so that you can sell interceptors to people, right? Yeah, and there are other various
0: military upgrades.
1: Yeah, yeah, like the more that like these things are, uh, the more that the aliens are kind of like accepted and we deal with them peacefully and diplomatically, like the less Xenocorp profits. So I I was able to convince Mango to fund our or like half of our uh, interceptors. Um, for the round, and then you gave us a bunch of free, like, flight upgrades, um, like, experience point upgrades for our, for our fighter pilots and stuff like that, because we just really wanted to shoot down this, this, uh, interceptor, because nothing had been shot down yet. Um, and then it ended up being, and then we found out the next round that it was, like, it was a, not like a ruse, but it was a misidentified, like, spy drone or something like that, and I was super fucking pissed. (laughs)
0: Yeah, um... Uh, like to, to kind of get in, into it, like I thought the game was a lot of fun, but I think that so something I found out through the uh, through their Discord um, was that the corporations weren't always going to be a thing. They found like a controller at the last minute. By the way, the corporation's controller, super nice guy, his name was Tony. Shout outs to him um, if he ever happens to listen to this podcast. But it was he, he did a great job. But um, I think because of that, the corp the corporations felt really kind of like poorly integrated um and like essentially there was no demand for any of our any of our stuff like uh, the three of us um we all kind of complained about or like we we talked about ourselves that no one was really buying our stuff um because the, the scenario wasn't really positioned to take deep advantage of it especially i felt that Zero corp was really really hurt because there's no reason for anybody to buy interceptors or military upgrades at a certain point
1: yeah yeah yeah. Uh, absolutely um, I've, i really was hoping that we were going to get um, we were going to get into combat with the aliens uh, because it really looked like they were shady. I was pretty I was pretty sure that they were shady. Um,
0: but yeah, um, another thing is that I felt like I was really disconnected from the main plot because I wasn't really brought in a lot and that might have been a consequence of the other two companies being nationalized so like they were brought in just kind of by their own nature um, whereas I was just kind of like, hey, 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 buy Xenocorp and everybody was like, why, We well, because, part of, you know, because the aliens were siphoning off everybody's money, France was like, we'd really like to buy some of your stuff, but uh, we don't have any money. Um, because we're spending it all on, like, tech, and it turns out their scientists were just literally throwing their money in a hole uh, for the reptile aliens. Um, and, like, everybody else was like, uh, maybe, we don't really need anything else. Um, uh, I also thought that, like, some of the mechanics weren't great, but I think they would have worked out better on a game that was that was like a little bit more conflict focused at least.
1: Yeah, I also think that the controllers didn't take as heavy a hand as I was hoping they were. Um I really enjoyed the the media controller's story right with like the gulag and NNN and and the embassy and everything like that because I thought it was like I don't know, like it was it was like interesting, it was really like engaging. It was like a it was like a story vignette and there were a couple of these along the way. Um, but in general, I kind of felt like maybe people were being a little too conservative and that, like, there needed to be a little more sort of, like, drama and action being generated through the controllers, um, who are, you know, who are doing stuff like that, um, yeah, I don't know. I think, to a certain extent, I think that, like, that stuff should come from the players. And the players definitely did generate plenty of drama, you know, like, on their own, right? Like, I had a very pissy relationship with uh, Africa at a certain point because I made a – I made, like, kind of a good faith – it's, it's the exact same thing as um, – uh, it's the exact same thing as diplomacy where it is where I was very trusting and I was willing to give Africa the benefit of the doubt and so I flew interceptors over Africa which cost me quite a bit of money um, and they promised me uh, technology and then they kept waffling and kept waffling and I never got like the tech um, and eventually I just gave up on it um, because you know they they had the interceptors you know like they had the interceptors for a round that was crucial um, but then, like, the interceptors didn't end up doing anything, so it was kind of, like, whatever. And so I felt very, like, burned by that kind of, you know, like, by that kind of, like, behavior. Um, but also at the same time, you know, like, there was a whole thing about Uzbekistan, which was allied with the United States, um, and the the USSR was trying to take over Uzbekistan, and the, and, um, the United States asked us to put in... Um, uh, troops to defend against uh, a USSR attack, and we did. So we put in troops. I think Brazil put in troops. Uh, the US put in troops, and, and Japan put in troops. Um, and the uh, the that that was like that was like an instance where a lot of like like a crisis kind of arose just out of the players you know, like, just out of, like, the players doing stuff, but the USSR kept coming to me, and he was like, pull your troops out, you know, like, you don't want to be in there, and I was like, listen, my troops are in there at the behest of the United States commander, when he, when I get the word from him that he's pulling his people out, that's when I'll pull my people out, and I feel as though, like, that staunch, you know, like, I like being, like, a staunch, loyal ally to people, um, but I don't know that they necessarily, uh, reciprocate necessarily yeah
0: no i I, th- I thought the political aspects and like that kind of thing was was really fun um like i said i wish that the corporation had been a little bit more involved a little bit better integrated but yeah i, thought I also want to give a good. quick
1: shout out to my team like one of the cool things about being head of state is that you cannot go to the different tables i can't go to the united nations i'm not allowed to look at the battle map um I'm not allowed to go to the science map or whatever, Um, and uh, so I was relying quite a bit on my team members to go out, get information, come back to the table, report in sort of thing, and, you know, like, I could go and I could have a meeting with somebody on the floor sort of thing, but... I was not supposed to be looking at you know where the aliens were and stuff and and, and stuff like that. Um, and I want to give a quick shout out to my boy Eugene, who was my deputy head of state, who can go everywhere and has the authority to like make deals and stuff like that. Um, and he was just so good. Uh, he was a real go-getter, I guess, when it came to um, when it came to the game and getting uh, uh, and getting the best sort of deals for India. Um, out of it that he could. Man, I I, I just had a lot of fun. I, uh, I'm i very excited to do another Mega Game next year. I don't know that I could ever do more than one, um, just because they are ins- incredibly draining. Um, yeah, um, and also expensive. And also um, expensive, true, true. Uh, but I'm hoping that we can get a big group together to go do Sengoku or uh, really any of the other ones.
0: Yeah, I would even do the same one again if it, if it was timed right.
1: right? Yeah, to be cause... honest with you, I was actually, I, I had that exact same conversation with Charles. I was like, honestly, dude, Hell yeah, I would do another one of those. Yeah.
0: Um, uh, uh, but that was Watch Disguise. I think yeah. we, do, we do have to start moving on to the other stuff. Um, you did Count kind of Cons. I didn't. I went to sleep instead. Um,
1: how was kind of Cons? Uh, kind of Cons was very cool. So 7C is one of the big standout, you know, uh, explosion games that, that, that we always engage with when it comes to... Um, When it comes to Gen Con. We've played 7C every year since the first year. Uh, The first year was a lot of fun. Last year was a lot of fun. This year was still fun, but it was hampered uh, for a couple of reasons. One, the guy, the GM, was not super great. Because we did it on the first night. We did it on Thursday night. Um, I don't think that he had a lot of experience with the system, and I don't think he had a lot of experience with the game. Uh, and one of the things that's nice about playing a little bit later in the week is that a lot of the times these GMs have been running the same game over and over again, and so they've fallen into something of a groove with it, um, and they are good at, you know, doing, you know, like, get, getting getting the storytelling across. This is something that I think w- played in the favor of, uh, Luchador Way of the Mask, for instance. Um, the... Uh, the kind Con of Cons guy, yeah, he... I, I had a better mastery of 7C than he did. Um, for instance, the big thing that he screwed up, I think, was, um... There's a whole part where we got into a duel with another character. Um, and the duelist rules say that at the top of a round, you can spend a hero point to enter into kind of, like, dueling mode. Right? And then you start spending your raises to do slashes and parries and shit like that. Um, he read that as every time you want to do a slash or a parry you need to spend a hero point which was just insanely impossible to do um the duel also kind of removed any and all agency from the rest of us the the basic outline of the story is that um first we were defending a chinese city from mongol hordes right then the mongols came in and the uh the mongol empress was kind of like you guys fought with honor serve me or die Um, I kept trying to convince people to serve her, but we actually got railroaded, um, into getting put in prison, right? And then you're given a choice where either you break out of prison with the help of a guy in order to, like, uh, lead a, like, a small strike force rebellion that allows you to kill the, kill the Empress with poison, or you, um... Uh, or you go face the Empress the next day, um, and you duel her greatest champion, and if you win the duel, you'll, like, attain enough honor that she can't execute you and she has to, you know, let you go sort of thing, right? Um, and I was fighting very hard to do the other one of those. Uh, I was fighting very hard to do the insurrection, um, and the, and the poisoning, uh, just because I knew the duel was only gonna be one person, right? And it wasn't going to be interesting, um because nobody else was in the fight. It's, it's literally a duel. Um, and that and that exact thing happened, right? Like, we got into dueling. Enoch was playing the Japanese samurai, who had the duelist ability. Um, and the rest of us were just, like, kind of working the crowd um, with not a lot of... You know, just not a lot of uh, success or interesting sort of stuff happening. Uh, I was able to eventually convince the Empress to call off the duel, which became this huge big thing. And then the GM started improvising, and he kind of brought it back in the improvisation section, where we were chasing down um, this one guy, right? Um, and I, I I commandeered a rickshaw, and then I set the rickshaw on fire... Um, Really, at the end of the day, I think this was a good, you know, like, a, a, a cool game and a good system sort of um, ruined by inexperience when it comes to, like, the GM with the system, with the game and everything like that. Um, and definitely, I'm excited to see what the, um, God, what is it called? Katai? Katai, yeah, I, I'm excited to see what the Katai Sourcebook 4.7C has to offer. Because it seems like so there was like a lot of really cool stuff going on. Yeah, so uh, the, just to be
0: clear, Katai is, is technically a, a an independent game as well. It's not just a book on top of 7th Sea.
1: That's true, yeah. I mean, the the, the the name of the traits themselves have, have been changed. Um, I can't remember what the, what the traits are normally, like wits and panache and stuff like that, but um, the traits in Katai are like joy, honor, respect... Right, so stuff like that, which was very cool.
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, if you had nothing else, uh, we'll move along to uh, the next day. You went to Cthulhu Tech, and I did Orc. Um, I'll go first. Sure. Orc is a, a fun type of, the guy described it as a beer and pretzels type game. Um, relatively open-ended. Um, one of the devs was RGM. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, you play as, uh, an orc, um, with, uh, with, like, orcs are basically good at one thing, um, and kind of whatever at others. Um, you roll different sized dice to see how, uh, how well you do, um, based on, like, your stats, um it's the guy described it as being various levels of crunchy as you want to, like you can put a battle map in if you want, we did not play with one. We just kind of played theater of the mind. Um, it's very tongue in cheek. Like my orc was good at, at, uh, at smashing stuff. Uh, um, but like you can get creative with it too. Like, uh, Warren's orc was great at shredding. Um, and shredding is like with rollerblades. Uh, uh, Zao's or, or uh, Nick's orc was great at throwing rats, and Zao's orc was great at blending in at parties and came with a party hat. Um, and basically, the core mechanic is you say what you want to do, um, you use a stat that's assigned to it, and uh, you roll the dice as are appropriate to that. And you're trying to basically, um, I think it's beat a target number. Because um, you get like you get like a uh, work points too to like make your rolls better or like make hits big hits um, you know, standard kind of stuff, um, and, uh, what was the other part of it, um, oh, and, uh, the, the cool thing is, is if you're doing the thing that you're good at, um, so, so basically, the core s- conceit is, especially, against. I remember the things, your orky god, Krom, um, variously cares or doesn't care about what you're doing, wants to see you succeed or wants to see you not succeed, um, and so he'll roll kind of, like, sky dice D6 against you um, if you're not opposing, like, a monster or something that has their own dice pool. And if it's something you're good at, you can tempt fate, um, or you could cheat, is what they call it, by stealing dice from Krom, right? So if you're really good at, like, smash stuff like I am, every time I went to smash something, I could, um, like, Krom would be like, you know, smashing this house is pretty hard, so it's like five or six dice. But I was like, ah, oh, but I'm good at smashing stuff. So I took two of his d sixes and got to add them to my roll against him. Um, and the the mechanic there is that those dice stay in front of me until the GM decides that, um, like, if you're doing something relatively normal, relatively easy, you can see like, ah, Krom's mad at you for cheating him earlier, and he can add the dice in front of me to his thing to increase tension or whatever. It's a very cool system. Works back and forth. Um, uh, it was it, it's it's neat. Uh, the game was a lot of fun, very tongue in cheek. Um, uh, Nick decided that his orc that was good at throwing rats was also like an expert rat tamer and did a lot of rat taming stuff, which was really fun. Um, we basically played a horde of, or a group of orcs that were, um, called gunks cause we didn't have our names yet. Um, you, once you commit a, once you do like a, a spectacular deed, you get a name. Um, and, uh, our task to do names with somebody had tried to come and kidnap the warlock, and we need to go figure out why that was. Um, it involved like a a uh, a steampunk-ish kind of town. Turns out there were lots of robot orcs. Turns out the count wanted to capture the warlock. Our, our warlock who's basically our our chief to um to fix his hideous deformity, which was like a very minor scar in in a truly hilarious fashion. We ended up uh killing the uh we ended up killing the count. Um, and destroying all the robots and uh, going home um, and getting our names. It was a lot of fun. I would definitely recommend I would definitely play again. Uh, how was Cthulhu Tech?
1: Uh, Cthulhu Tech was interesting mostly because um, I was playing with one of the designers and we were you know sort of like working through the system as a true playtest. test. Um, I've never played any version of Cth- Cthulhu Tech before today. Uh, I, I am very skeptical of kind of, uh, Lovecraft shit, uh, especially in RPGs, because I think, I've talked about this a little before on the podcast, where uh, Lovecraft is always about, like, the the fear of kind of, like, insignificance and stuff for me, right? It's like, there are these things, and you are, like, a, a moat of nothingness in comparison to Elder Gods or whatever, and that's... Fundamentally at odds with the the core underlying systems uh, at the heart of most RPGs, which is that you are an exceptional hero who can do exceptional hero things, right? You can't do a power fantasy and do Cthulhu at the same time, I always feel like. Um, at the same time, Cthulhu tech was... Not super Lovecraftian in the first place. Uh, there's something about, like, it's like a mid-apocalypse game where humanity has, lo- has like, kind of um, consolidated itself into arcologies, like, big giant city, uh, like, sort of city-states. Um, and there's, like, big wasteland in between them uh, that are that's, like, lawless and wilderness and stuff like that. And, um, and over the course of the game, it was pretty straightforward. We went to a, uh, we went to an arcology to track down a missing guy, a part of our organization. Um, and then we tracked him to a hidden, you know, corporate compound out in the wilderness. Uh, infiltrated the compound, found out that he had been vivisected, um, beat a bunch of bad guys, and then went home. Right. Um, the interesting thing about Cthulhu Tech was that the system was completely uh, being built from scratch. Um, and one of the cool, th- and it probably had one of the coolest things I've seen, and something I've always wanted out of an RPG, but never has quite gotten it, um, which is the ability to create like cool sort of special maneuvers and moves. Um, so, they had this whole system in the back of your character sheet with things like zone of control, lethality, crowd control, range, just a bunch of other stuff like that, right? And you could put, you, and, and you had charges, right? You had 50, excuse me, you had 50 charges, right? And depending on how you assigned those values, right, your moves cost more charges. So um, a very basic uh, like melee attack was just four charges for me because it was like two in lethality and two in something else, right? Um, but if I wanted to do a bigger AOE attack that blinded people, right, uh, that was 12 charges. Um, and they had a couple of them that were just written out for you. Um, but w- by the... You know, maybe the one hour mark, I had kind of read through the sheet to kind of intuit how most of it worked. And I started working with the GM where I was. Where I would say stuff like, I'm going to pull the blind off of this to save two charges, or I'm going to put some charges on this because I want to do more damage sort of thing. Um... And that was pretty cool and interesting. But, you know, otherwise, it was a very, uh, you know, middle-of-the-pack experience. Uh, to be honest, it was a lot like Con of Cons, I would say. Um, it's just that I am more betrayed, I guess, because I like 7C so much, and I've had so much fun with the 7C games that the, uh, over the past two years. But, yeah, so that was Cthulhu Tech. Sounds, sounds
0: really neat. Um, so so it didn't really have that, that uh, Lovecraftian tone then?
1: Yeah, I mean, it had it in a little in a little way. We were called Taggers, um, which was like people like mortal people that have been um, bonded to like eldritch shit, and the different Taggers could do different things. Like one guy could do phasing. My guy had um, like the ability to make illusions, um, and also tentacles were like my big attack was uh, was tentacles and like illusions and stuff like that. And so, there was kind of, like, a Lovecraft element in that, like, you had bonded yourself with, like, a creature of the Elder Gods and stuff like that. Um, but, otherwise, you know, not really anything I would call, like, truly Lovecraftian. Um,
0: alright then. Uh, that's, that's, that's interesting to note then, uh, given that it's, uh, it's, it's a game with, with, uh, Cthulhu in the name. Um. Yeah, so, um, well, that day at lunch, I did Chick Fil A. Um, <laughs> uh, it's Chick Fil A. We don't, I don't, I don't have access to one out here, so it was neat. I did Chick Fil A like two days. Really?
1: Um, oh, you don't have access? Wow, interesting.
0: Yeah, I there's not there's, there's not one that's that's close to San Francisco. Fair um, enough. Uh, did you ever do anything for lunch that you wanted to talk about on nope. Friday? Uh, all right. Um, and then that that day was Scythe. Uh, in the afternoon, right?
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So we played Scythe, the board game. Uh, you were the one that found this game.
0: Yeah, uh, it was all the rage like a year or two ago, um, and I didn't have a chance to play it, so I wanted to do that. Um, and obviously there was the opportunity, so we, we went and did that. It's, I believe, so basically the, the kind of theme is like uh, Cold War era, like Eastern Europe with mechs. I believe that was just somebody who did some drawings of that um, and somebody was like, that looks really cool, I want to make a game out of it, and that, that's kind of how this thing spawned. Um, how how would you describe, like, the core concept of this game?
1: It's kind of, uh... I don't know, it's like a more complicated diplomacy. It's kind of one of the best representations, I think, of of civilization in a board game format, actually. It felt a lot like playing a game of Civ to me. I get um, that.
0: Um, in terms of In terms of more kind of traditional board game things, it's kind of like... Catan-ish. It's like a, a resource generator game where you also have to like build stuff up. Reminded me a little bit of Puerto Rico too, although I haven't played a ton of that game. Um, but uh, but yeah, you want you, you want to get you want to give an overview?
1: Yeah. Uh, so you know the game is one of seven nations with the expansion. I think base is one of five, um, and you move across a hex map. Uh, like generating resources, kind of like Catan, and then you can spend those resources on what is essentially your economy, right? Um, in order to fuel your economy, uh, your economy, build mechs, put mechs on the ground, um, and then start using those mechs to move across the map. Um, we, I, I was really pissed about this, to be honest with you. Um, a bunch of people didn't show up, so we split the games. Four person, one game; three person, in the other game. Um, and I think the game doesn't play super well with low numbers of people because it's tough to interact with an opponent who's halfway across the board. Um, and so that was uh, I like I felt like the game would have been a lot more interesting if we were up to seven people. This is kind of like diplomacy, yeah, in a lot of ways, right? Like diplomacy is not a lot of fun with four people. You know, it's much more fun when you have like a full seven and you can kind of really like bounce off of one another. Um, kind of no pun intended um, yeah I don't know uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, there's also a bit of a randomization element in each
0: game and like each nation plays slightly differently there's a slightly different set of powers based on different characters I was kind yeah. of sad that we didn't play with the blue character because the blue character obviously has the best miniature that I have ever seen it's like a Russian man with a gun riding a a musk ox and it looks amazing yeah. um, although I was kind of I was happy with mine mine was a a woman with, like, a, a, a falcon, um, I forget what yours was.
1: Mine was a, mine was Olga and Uchanka, who was a Siberian tiger.
0: Right, and, uh, I think, who was the third person we were playing with? Was it? Z- uh, Alexio. Alexio, he had a bear, I think.
1: Yeah, 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 um, was he playing the, were you playing Poland, or were you playing Crimea? I was playing Crimea. He, okay, so he was playing Poland.
0: Yeah, um, all the different nations have, like, subtly different, like, mechs, um, they have slightly different powers, um, The way you build resources is a little bit randomized each time. Um, The way you take actions is very unique. Like, you pick basically an action track to to do each turn and, um, like, you can either do one or both actions. Some of them have a cost, some of them are just generators. Um, and, uh, it's very neat. We didn't come into a lot of direct contact, it was just a lot of us kind of, like, finding each other to to win faster. Um, I ended up winning that one because, obviously, I'm the best at games. Um, and, uh, what else? Uh, um, it's interesting because the game ends when you when somebody gets six victory points, but that's not actually who wins. It's who has the most gold after you've converted own territory and stars and a couple other objectives into gold, and whoever has the most gold at the end of that yep. wins the game, which I thought was uh very neat. Um, uh, not much else I could say about it. I think. Um. The other thing we did on Friday was start to dig into Pathfinder 2E. Um, and I think there's a lot of interesting lessons to be taken from our experience with um, with trying to do 2E at the con. But uh, I don't know if it'll fit here. I think I'd rather talk about um, about uh, Mask of the Luchador and uh, and, uh, and 1879.
1: Yeah, uh, we will definitely cover 2E in an upcoming episode. Yeah. I still haven't read through the entirety of the book. Neither have um, I. We are planning on... Starting up a game of 2E in the not-too-distant future, so we'll be able to kind of, like, report on how it plays much better, I think. Definitely.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think soon we'll do an, a theory episode based on just kind of our reading of it. Um, the thing I was interested in talking about there a little bit is um, we tried to play, and it didn't go so well, and I think there's some interesting lessons to be learned there about stuff, but... Um, The one that I think um, that's most directly applicable to stuff we did at Gen Con is that playing with more than six players isn't great. We also had that we we tried to do that for like our kind of fun fun times game that we did also that happened with 1879. I just think seven I think seven is like hard too many players Um, maybe for any game, but definitely for our con game. Um, Yeah,
1: I also think that we were trying to play at the end of the week and we were all really tired. I was definitely insanely tired. Um, which, you know, I get a little bit loopy, I guess, when I'm sleep deprived. Yeah. So, um,
0: I think there's a lot there. Um, there, were, think-
1: there were, there were a, a good number of sort of lessons learned, uh, that we're going to take forward in the future.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, the kind of like the big takeaway being, uh, don't try and learn, learn a system, build a character at like advanced level and play it all within the span of 48 hours. Um, uh, details on which we can go into later, if there's interest, maybe it's the best way to put that. But on Saturday, we started off the day with um, Mask of the Luchador, which I
1: adored. How did you feel about it? I loved it. It was probably the best. It was no, it wasn't probably. It was the best con game uh, that I that I played that week.
0: Uh, I think I would I would agree with you. Um, Orc was great. Um, I definitely put it up there. Um, but there, this was just something exceptional. Um, basically, you play a bunch of luchadors. Um, uh, uh, running around in masks. Um, I played a kind of strong man uh, who had a twin brother, was played by our friend Nick. Uh, We were the Eviscerators. Um, Alexio played a uh, the 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 Red Phoenix. No, no, it was King King Phoenix. It was King Phoenix. The Red Red Scorpion Scorpion Scorpion.
1: was Mark, and Uh, I played Mother Mercy, who was a nun.
0: Yeah. Um, King Phoenix was kind of like self obsessed and passed out autograph photos of himself. Uh. Uh, your character, Mother Mercy, was a was the class is called the gimmicko, um, is a uh, very much based around her nun gimmick, and uh, 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 oh, just to go back to King Phoenix for a second. It's a high flyer. It's based around jumping around high places. Although there wasn't a ton of
1: and uh, yeah, an aerialist. Yeah,
0: an aerialist. There wasn't a ton of um, opportunity for that to shine so much um, in this game. Kind of ironic considering we were in uh, dirigibles for a lot of it. And uh, Mark's character, the Red Scorpion, was based on throws and grips and stuff like that. Um, why don't you, uh, why don't you kind of give a summary of what happened? Because
1: I have to run to the bathroom real quick. Uh, um, the Way of the Luchador game. What was the story of the Way of the Luchador game? So I guess we were playing. I, I the, the, all of this is dependent on a certain like subculture that I am intimately not familiar with. Um, Which is like the world of WWE and like Mexican wrestling. But apparently it's based off of these, you know, um, these movies about a guy and like his daughter or his like sidekick or something. And they just run around and they wear masks um, the entire time. Which is why it's called Luchador Way of the Mask. And the way of the mask actually influences the game. Because people will only kind of interface with you as like a professional wrestler. And nobody will ever talk about you in a way that, like, is weirded out by the fact that you're a professional wrestler, right? Like, we got invitations to go to a party, and it didn't have my my real name on it. It had my character's name on it, and I kept my mask on the entire time. It was, like, a whole big thing. Uh, but anyway, so the story was we were in a Zeppelin at a party um, for a, a supermodel industrialist, and then her brother attacked from another Zeppelin um, with, like, guys in a wingsuit and, like uh grappling hooks and so we fought those guys and we like tossed them off the and we tossed them off the zeppelin then we went to his zeppelin beat up the guys on his zeppelin and found out that he was on the first zeppelin the whole time and returned back to the first zeppelin um, um, in order to kick the shit out of him and
0: uh i want to highlight that return trip because i that, it was it was particularly spectacular um on the return trip uh, eviscerators 1 and 2 um, tied themselves like the way we we transferred between the Zeppelins is we the eviscerators who are the only people that were bad at like climbing we tied to, ourselves to each other with like a, another piece of cable and slid down like the rope um, on the way back we held the red scorpion between us as we slid down this fucking massive like this, this this grappling hook in between and launched him through the window at which point he flipped through the air and like one shot crotch killed um, the big bad, uh, which was kind of spectacular. The number of times that one of us would roll a dice and the GM would like pinch the bridge of his, bridge, bridge of his nose and be like, "Oh, you know," like just like look like this, like look look down in despair was was uh, amazing in this game. Would you yeah. agree?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I had a wingsuit on and I like flew the, like, I flew from one Zeppelin to the other, and because of the way that, like, aerialists work, you, like, the more time you spend in air, the the more you generate damage, I guess? I don't so so that's, that uh, that, that's not the air, it's, it's, it's it'd be if you were
0: running too, it's the more you kind of, like, build up momentum, the more risk you build up. So if you miss, it's really damaging to you, but if you hit, it impacts much harder.
1: Okay, yeah, because that's essentially what happened. Um That first... Hit from the red scorpion knocked out the guy, and then me and King Phoenix came down from the other zeppelin in wingsuits, um, and and killed his partner, who or didn't kill but like knocked out his partner. Um, well, the
0: Eviscerators yeah. attempted to convert El- Visa Tigre. Did you talk about Evisc Tigre while I was? Gone? I am
1: not. I I, le- I left that for you. All
0: right. So there was this giant white tiger that was, like, chained in the middle of the Zeppelin on, during the party, um, and, uh, my brother decided that, uh, the Tiger should be free during this big, co- this first confrontation, so he pulled the chain off, and, uh, uh, the Tiger kind of looks at us, um, and I grabbed, like, a, a party mask off the floor and put it on the Tiger, um, and, uh, declare it El- 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 or declare it, uh, Vista Tigre, um, And uh, we got it to eat someone. Uh, It was a lot of fun. So, the thing I really liked about RGM was, like, he knew when, like, to embrace the ridiculousness enough so that it worked. Like, everything our characters do is larger than life, but, like, if you kind of viewed it from, like, say, somebody watching at home, you'd see how funny. Like, he pointed out that, like, I put this thing on the tiger, right? But it didn't quite fit right, and, like, like, half an eye was looking through it, and he was like, what the fuck is this thing on my face, right? Like... I thought our GM was very good about, like, kind of balancing, like, basically balancing, like, how, like, with with wrestling, not that I'm a huge expert on it, but, like, you know, the world of wrestling has its own rules, but, like, where it rubs up against the real world, like, the wrestlers basically just kind of ignore how reality isn't, like, isn't conforming to what it is, but we as, like, viewers can still see how, like, the, like the difference is there, right. uh, if that makes sense, and I, I thought our GM was very good at, at, at nailing that, so I, I wanted to give props to him for that. Um, but we, we, we converted up, like, the, uh, Evista Tigre was, in fact, the pet of the big bad, and we managed to convince the, the tiger to, to be a friend. Um, uh, did you talk about the mechanics at all? No, I didn't really, to be honest. Um, so the system's a roll-under system. You have a number on your sheet, which is how good you are at something, um, I like this system because uh, it's mostly self-sustenant, right? Like, um, you roll d d20, if you roll under your t- under the number on your sheet, you succeed. The GM can apply penalties and bonuses as he sees to fit. Um, and the more crazy stuff you do, the uh, the more he's encouraged to give you, like, heat points. And heat points let you re-roll, dice let you... Uh, um, I forget what the other uses for it are, but it basically lets you manipulate the, the dice roll. And so you're kind of encouraged to go all out because going all out will give you the resources you need to make sure that going all out succeeds. Um, And it was, uh, I liked the way the system played it. Let us kind of, like, do all, like, the obnoxious stuff we wanted to do while still keep, like, adding some tension in the air, um, if that makes sense. Um, uh, Yeah, it was was just basically kind of like a, a... uh, uh, everything I kind of wanted out of it. I would definitely play that again. I actually I bought all the source books, but I would definitely play it at Gen Con again uh, if I had the opportunity. Um, how do you feel about that?
1: It is the, it, you know, it is the, besides the mega game, which is the highlight highlight of of this Gen yeah. Con, of all the RPGs we played, that one was the best. Um, the last RPG we played was 1879, which has an interesting history because it comes from, so fossa Games used to own shadow run right so they had so they had Shadowrun. then they made earth dawn which is like the moment when shadow run uh became shadow run is that correct
0: no, so so what it is 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 uh if you don't know your shadow run lore um the magic comes into the world basically on the mayan calendar cycles um and it goes out as well and so Shadow, like the you remember when I'm sure everybody who's listening to this remembers when everyone's like the end of the world's coming because the Mayan's calendar ended, um, or like cycled, and that's when it comes in in the modern age. But, um, obviously, this is this like couple thousand year cycle to it, and so uh, it happened before as well. And before is when, like, the essentially Shadowrun's the seventh cycle, and uh, most of human history is this, or most of like the previous history is the sixth cycle, Earth Dawn is the fifth cycle. Um, so like two like, you know, two cycles back. Uh if that makes sense. You follow me? Sure. Um and so uh Fossa or somebody else bought Shadowrun, but Fossa remained control retained control of Earth Dawn, and so they made eighteen seventy nine, which is somebody forces basically the Shadowrun event to happen in eighteen seventy nine instead of at the end of the cycle. Um uh I don't know uh it seems like some of like the the, the higher, higher fantasy stuff, like the dragons and whatnot, they weren't at least present in our game in none of the descriptive materials. like And I'm sure that Doozlecon uh, can't come back in sh- in 1879 um, because of copyright reasons, I would guess. But I might be wrong mm-hmm. about that. But it's basically a Victorian area slash steampunk version of Shadowrun type stuff. Um, but with completely different mechanics, is a scaling dice mechanic that you see in other games like Savage Worlds. Essentially, the better you are to scale, the, m- the better dice you can roll on it um, and more dice, right? Like most of our rolls were either um, 2d6, a d8, and a c6, or a, a 2d8 with a couple of d10s thrown in there. But it goes all the way up to like d20s with d12s and whatnot, um, which I thought was a very interesting system. Um, yeah. You-, you roll against target numbers. Um, it is much better than whatever fucking bullshit Shadowrun is, where you roll seventy two d six and try and match numbers. I don't know who thought that was a good idea to, to actually do in real life. Um, I don't know. I just know I can't stand the Shadowrun mechanics, even though I really like the system. It is it's I know,
1: just... no, I totally, I totally understand that. I hate the die rolling in Shadowrun. I think it's yeah. awful.
0: Um, uh, but it computerizes okay, which is why I like the 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 the, the, the hair schemes games are good. Um, but uh, anyway um we played a kind of lowish fantasy steampunky game with it right um it was called like what ho what has happened to my steam coach yeah it was based on dude where's my car um except it did not end with it being parked across the street which is i believe how that movie ends Um, i think
1: dude where's my car ends with it being parked down the street yeah
0: yeah okay um it did end up with us stealing it back with a bit of heisting in between um I would say that my disappointment was it was that it was as a seven person game um, uh, with uh, a kind of uh, a bunch of people that were trying to play the game. And, you know, I'm not going to fault anybody for that, but like I felt that me and Nick sat back a little bit to let um, let things happen and we didn't interact as much, although it did come through in the end. I thought it was I thought it was a little bit better in the end uh, where I where uh, we, we got to do a little bit more with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you feel?
1: Um, I think from a mechanical standpoint, it suffers from the the same sorts of problems that, like, any kind of one of these, like, full-world simulator games, I guess I would call them, suffer from, um... It had a big set of very specific skills, right? But we, were endi- we, but we ended up rolling the same skills kind of over and over again. Um, and I get the sense that if I had built my own character um, with a little bit of experience in the system rather than used the pre-made, well, excuse me, I would have been able to build a much more efficient character because I wouldn't have spent stuff. There were a bunch of skills on that skill list that I quite literally never used. Um, and I think that was kind of true of everybody. Stuff like Streetwise was getting a ton of, uh, of use, or like Knowledge London and stuff like that. Um, and then you had other stuff that just, like, wasn't getting touched at all. Um, I would be interested in taking a look at kind of how, like, that rolling system works, because I think it's neat. Um, I like it as sort of a, a, a replacement for modifiers, because it still allows for the sort of, like, variance... That, um, like even with D20s, right? Like it's like a high variance game. And so you are almost always increasing your average rolls and your ceiling, right? Um, But pretty much your floor is going to stay at one or two, you know, like one or two. Uh, points anytime you like roll the dice and I think that that's kind of like interesting that like even though you are getting better and better and you're going up in the steps list right um, you're still kind of bound by the fear of rolling sort of snake eyes um, yeah I've never really done a steampunk game before but I had fun doing this one I like steampunk in general I'm not like a huge steampunk person but I can definitely get on board with it so yeah I don't know yeah um,
0: I, yeah, I thought it was a neat system. Um, I would definitely play it again. Maybe not, I maybe not do another Gen Con thing on it. Not because I thought it was bad, but just because I like to explore Gen Con a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't above the bar of like, I would like to do this again at Gen Con, if that yeah. makes sense. Um, uh, but that kind of brings us to the end of our experience at Gen Con. On Sunday, we basically wa- walked the, uh. The floor handed out some coins. Thanks if you're checking out this episode from one of those coins that we definitely handed out and didn't
1: uh, surreptitiously place uh, with malintent. intent. Um, so- I didn't intend anything. Okay, so Manga handed me a bunch of a bunch of poker chips. He was like, "You gotta pass these out by the end of the day." So I was just walking around the exhibition hall, and if somebody had like a pocket that was easily acceptable, I would just like, or that was like easily accessible, I would just slip a. I just slip a poker chip in there yeah so, so if any of you are listening and
0: don't know how you got the poker chip with our uh, web address on it that's how. that's how
1: you're welcome um, thanks for th- bringing you to to us to <laughs> our wonderful podcast um, um yeah
0: um uh did we do we have any lessons from gen Con? just to close it out do we have any lessons from gen con that we wanted to impart um that we haven't already imparted um the only thing I would say is I felt like like, I felt like last year we tried to pack the schedule a little bit too tight, and this year we maybe didn't pack it tight enough. So, you know, next year we'll be a little bit more kind of like finding the happy medium. Um, mm-hmm. Although I do think part of that was us attempting to dedicate a bunch of time to Pathfinder 2. that didn't pan out. Um, uh, and one thing I would say that um, I kind of already knew but didn't really take to heart um, is the people are really friendly at Gen Con. Um, and so if you want to reach out and talk to people... Um, they're probably going to be friendly about it, and I know that we're all socially anxious nerds, or at least a lot of us are, and don't feel so afraid. Um, did
1: you have any lessons that you wanted to, uh, share from Gen Con? I have have no other lessons, I think. Every year I return to Gen Con, and I feel like I learn a little bit more about the community and and myself. So, I'm always happy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm always happy to get that. Well, uh, did you, uh, given that we're kind of at the end of
0: time, um... Our time, not time as a whole, that would be scary. Um, uh, if you'd like to talk to us about what you thought about, what you think about Gen Con, um, uh, or about any lessons you have about conventions in general, you can reach us at subnervousplaygames at gmail dot com or podcast at subnervousplaygames dot com. You can follow us on Twitter and on SoundCloud and on iTunes. Leave us a review, uh, five stars. Uh, if you don't like us, I guess you can leave other stars, but please leave us five stars. Um, uh, with comments, we love it. We we love getting comments and all that stuff. Um, are you oh, and if you want to watch us play, sometimes we play at twitch.tv TV slash Play Games. Um, Hell's Rebels should be coming to an end, given our desire to play some two e um, in the next few weeks. I would
1: guess, right, buddy? Uh, yeah. My tentative is five sessions.
0: All right. But maybe less. All right. Um, and then uh. Uh, Starfinder's kind of been stalled by uh, our GMs having real life, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully, we'll have a TUI game up there soon. Um, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing
1: else that I'm looking to promote.
0: In that case, until next time, dear listeners.
1: Uh, until next time, loyal listeners.